Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. KWTX at 4 starts now. Thanks for joining us. I'm Justin Early here with Lauren Westbrook and meteorologist Camille Hawksworth. And here's a joke for you. So uh, two Barbies and an Oppenheimer walk into a TV studio. Uh, I don't know what the punchline is, but that's basically what's happening here today. This day is finally here. The two movies have been released. They actually kind of were released yesterday. People got to start getting mm-hmm. theaters and seeing them. But today is really the big monumental go do your Barbenheimer experience double feature. Are you guys going to do it? Oh, look. I know I'm in bright pink and go Barbie. I'm probably going to see Oppenheimer first. Mm-hmm. What I can say about this whole thing is it's just been fun. It like been everybody's fun. just been fun. united to yeah. be fun and yeah. happy in bright colors in pink. You know, they said there's like, um, you're going to be able to tell who's going which way when everybody right. pulls up to the movie theater line, who's going to Barbie, who's going uh-huh. to Oppenheimer. And <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see that. I don't think I have time to go to a doubleheader right. movie with <laughs> the kiddos, but uh, I will be living vicariously for, for those that can. <laughs> They're already doing pretty well. Uh, AMC Theaters reports they sold more than 40,000 pre-sale tickets to those movies. I know that Barbie apparently yesterday alone, just Thursday, raked in $22 million. One day, Oppenheimer about $9 million. So we'll see that go up and up and up. And that brings us to our Daily Four. Yeah, the business of Barbie is hot pink. (laughs) Brands and retailers are jumping on that bandwagon, catering to nostalgic adults. They're hoping they'll spend their extra cash on all the bright pink clothing and accessories to reconnect with their childhood memories. More than 100 eager companies, including Aldo, Gap, and Crocs, have signed deals with Mattel, the maker of the iconic doll, to create and sell Barbie-themed clothing. They're doing shoes, look at the Crocs there, (laughs) accessories. All the things, including the doll herself. Burger King in Brazil even launched a Barbie themed meal complete with a pink burger sauce. I don't know how I feel about that, but oh, okay. look there in that yeah. donut. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Experts say this gives retailers a creative space. And like we were talking about, it's just it kind of fun. Yeah. Um, luring in frugal shoppers into their stores, convincing them to spend their cash. I had to bring this today. Let's, let's look at this. You guys, this is one of my favorite things. I've kept it in the in the packaging because uh-huh. I'm afraid to mess it up. How but long I, have you had it? I have probably like four years. Okay. But a former coworker of mine gave this to me and it's a news anchor Barbie and set. Barbie reporting live with our fabulous news anchor, you. <laughs> <laughs> 
and the music. Oh. There's music and everything. Yeah. The it's right there. It's perfect. And you take that on location phone. with you, Lauren, when you go yes. shoot your next uh, oh, big yeah. story. Yeah. There's a press pass <laughs> and everything. So. That's okay. fantastic. Bobby's busy. And all over the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of, she has lots of jobs anyway. You know, we, she's got many, many, she has 200 jobs or something like that, including president and nurse and everything exactly. else, doctor. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing to see. Well, that's number two in our Daily Four. Speaking of the movies, more movie news. Yes, this is good news. If you're trying to get premium seating for this weekend's blockbuster, hits. They said that these are the movies that are going to save the movie industry too coming out this summer. So uh, AMC Theaters is walking back on plans to charge for more, more charge more for quote the good seats. You guys know which ones I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> AMC announced yesterday that it's ending its sightline tiered seating um, price seating pilot under the plan. Moviegoers who sat up by the front of the theater directly next to the screen paid less for tickets compared to those who chose a more desirable seat in the middle of the theater where you get that full yeah. surround sound experience. The program began earlier this year in some theaters. However, AMC says they're pivoting away from it after the results came in from the pilot program and it revealed that people still didn't want to sit right at the front of the theater, even with a slight discount on the ticket. So moving forward, uh, AMC says it's gearing up to do some more tests, more spacious front row seats, yes. uh, seats That's that recline. I don't know, seats that recline sounds pretty good too. And uh, in theaters nationwide, they're going to test those things out later this year. It seems like those those really close seats in the front, who wants, no one ever wants no. those. Maybe redesign the concept, push it way back and just go a little higher with the seats. That could be the way to do it. Maybe build up a little higher. That so seems too easy, right? Yeah, that does seem too to easy. To me, that seems like the solution. <laughs> I don't know, I sat in those front seats one time and I don't feel like I could see the movie all the way. Like, I saw it, yes. Yeah. I hit a horror movie uh, like this. And it was the most <laughs> terrifying experience of my entire life. Uh, yeah. But it seems like, you know, lately when I've gone to the theater, I never had to fight for a seat. Not, not recently, not yeah. the past couple of years. It's been pretty easy to get what you want. So Yeah, you can plan ahead pretty well. Yeah. yeah, and on the apps too, I know you can like choose your seat now and you yeah, can kind of already great. know. I know for me, like sometimes when I, you know, you're a teenager or going to the movies, you can get anxiety about walking into the theater. Everybody's looking at you, trying right. to find your seat, sure. trying to find two seats together. Mm -hmm. But now you can just do that on the app. Yeah, that's good to see. Well, this number three in the Daily Four, it sounds like the plot of a summer blockbuster, but this is true. An experiment to protect the Earth from asteroids could actually have done more harm than good. You remember last year, NASA sent a spacecraft flying into an asteroid to knock it off course. It was the DART test, you'll recall that. It was to see if, a po if it was possible to prevent a large asteroid capable of causing a mass extinction event on Earth by redirecting it away from Earth. Well, when they did this, the Hubble telescope took pictures of it, and it turns out, yeah, the trajectory was changed slightly, little bit, little bit, but when the spacecraft hit, several dozen boulders lifted off of that asteroid. And scientists think that might mean we could have a cluster of threatening boulders headed our direction. We're talking about 37 boulders from three feet across to 22 feet across. And scientists are studying to see if their trajectory is headed toward the Earth. You know, now they have kind of some new material to work with. And the telescope did show them a lot. It's important to keep in mind too, before we get, you know, afraid or scared or freaked out. Many things burn up as they enter the atmosphere. I can't imagine something three feet across would do much. It's probably going to burn up before it hits. And most of the Earth is covered in water anyway. So I think that we're, you know, probably okay. We'll see. We got to watch these bigger ones. But it clues us into what can happen if we do try this again in the future. And I get the idea. You want to knock an asteroid away from the Earth. I get that. But there will be repercussions as we now see. We right. don't need anything else back over we here. Don't. <laughs> like you said, there's a, a cause and a, a, re, a reaction. And so that's kind of, you know, science right there happening 
happening in, in real time. So that equal opposite reaction, those boulders coming our way. So, I mean, yeah. like you said, they'll probably burn up, but just knowing that we've got to kind of change that if we want to fight that in the future. It's something I wouldn't have thought about, right? Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, once things are in space in this vacuum environment, they're not necessarily going to fly off. There's no reason for them to. They're there and they're all moving together. So they'll stay until they are adjusted, which we did. And Hopefully it'll all be okay. Now. <laughs> well, let's uh, kind of take these down a notch and look now at number four in our daily four. Something a little bit more serious today. Yeah, we woke up to this news that the legendary singer Tony Bennett has died. Of course, he lived a long life, 96 years old, but his death comes years after an Alzheimer's disease diagnosis. Bennett is known for his prolific crooner style sound, singing jazz. I'm going to be listening to it all weekend, yeah. you guys. Uh, audiences around the world have enjoyed his concerts and their shows for more than 70 years. And when I say they, I mean, he's performed with everybody, including Lady Gaga. He made more than 150 recordings, has sold an estimated 60 million records. In 1962, here's a career highlight. Bennett performed at Carnegie Hall and released his signature song. Here's my favorite, I Left My Heart in San Francisco. And then later in his career, Bennett collaborated with a number of younger stars, like we said, Lady Gaga. Bennett was also known for serving in the military. He helped liberate a German concentration camp, and he was known for his work with the civil rights movement. Again, Bennett was 96 years old. I remember, you know, some of those songs he sings are just fantastic wedding songs. The way you look tonight, our love is here to stay. Those are just beautiful classic songs and such a distinct voice, mm, you know, mm -hmm. soulful, really, really. It's nice. so smooth and you watch yeah. him and you just immediately feel okay. <laughs> like and, you're just oh, enjoying it. Oh, it's true. It, very know? true. And uh, actually there's, you know, it's interesting how the streaming services, as soon as someone passes, they want to make sure you get to experience their life and, and all the great things they did. And right now on Paramount Plus, there's a great special with Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga that they moved to the top of the queue. You can watch that and their relationship is really sweet too. Oh, it, oh my gosh. Yeah. If you watch them at Christmas, Put, oh, it's yeah, a great, it's, nice. it's a great time. Yeah. Well, I know the music, but I didn't realize he did so many activist things too in yeah. his life. So that's, you know, you hate when you see someone pass away, you, you remember their life and you see all the great things that they did, but just being able to know that he made a positive impact, not only in the musical field, but in other ways as well, that's just really special. And if you do not know the music of Tony Bennett, we'd like for you to experience that a little bit. Let's let Tony take us out to our break. Here's to you. One of the things we love about video games is they have the ability to transport us as players into another world. And many of us has fond, have fond memories of the first video games we ever played. Oh, yeah, I'm still playing Mario. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. Uh, how do we go about preserving those games to ensure future generations can enjoy them as well? Andrew Hamilton explores this very topic in today's Hardwired. The year is 1958. Spooky season is in full swing and a physicist, William Higginbotham, is hard at work on a new kind of entertainment, a simplistic digital tennis game. This is what is widely believed to be the very first video game. Fast forward 65 years and I doubt that Mr. Higginbotham could have foreseen how massive gaming has become. Over the last 65 years, nearly 5 million games have been released, taking us to unimaginable worlds. 
Italian plumbers fighting massive apes, squirrels with guns, racing the fastest cars and battling the deepest evils, connecting with characters on their journeys. Unforgettable adventures, each sculpted to be a work of art in its own right. And art is worth preserving, right? So why is it that 87% of games released before 2010 just aren't commercially available? I'm Andrew Hamilton from Hardwired, and that's what we're diving into today. According to a recent study conducted by the Video Game History Foundation and Software Preservation Network, a staggering 87% of games released before 2010 are simply unavailable through normal means. And only 13% of those games are still accessible either through re-releases on active platforms or via the use of emulation. This means that most of gaming history is slowly being lost and moreover, it means that new generations aren't going to get to experience or even have the option of experiencing these great titles. I spoke last month about how gaming is one of the most unique mediums out there, and with that uniqueness come some very unique problems. Early game development was a wild west frontier of loose contracts, companies flaring up and then flaming out of existence, and a never-ending need to one-up the competition leading to some questionable designs. Titles released prior to 1990 have a reissue rate, meaning that they've been put out again, of only 3%, and you can bet on it just being the big hitters. Yes, we know Mario games have been preserved, but what about Glover 3D? or Clay Fighter. Scratch that. Let's look at games as recently as the PS3 console, a console so notoriously difficult to develop for that even Sony doesn't fully understand it. Their own emulator isn't running exactly the same as the hardware was. Even emulation isn't exact for these things. So how did we get here? What happened? Well, typically, media is maintained through the commercial market. Take for instance movies. Every new format, VHS to DVD, DVD to Blu-ray, Blu-ray to 4K, brings with it re-releases of older movies, the most recent being, like I said, 4K upscale or 4K restored movies. Even if you can't find a movie like, I don't know, let's say, Quest for Camelot, physically, you can usually find it somewhere digitally. The video game industry has done a pretty terrible job at keeping its own history alive commercially. A lot of that comes down to licensing, and again, the code being difficult to just port to the new consoles, but it also comes down to publishers simply not wanting to spend the resources preserving what's come before when they need to constantly be rushing headlong into the future. Yes, there are places that resell older games. There's a lot of these kinds of resell locations, but they come with their own sets of baggage. And eventually, these old copies that have been sold and resold and played a thousand times are going to stop working, and we'll need something else to take their place. So, video game history is dying. What do we do about that? Well, the Video Game History Foundation says the best thing we can do is to start thinking ahead, particularly when it comes to the governments of the world. It's time for them to start working with game companies to provide an effective infrastructure to preserve video game history. Emulation tools could be expanded and even supported by game publishers, and that would be a massive help. Yes. Places like Limited Run Games are re-releasing masterpieces like Gex, but these are few and far between, and if the publishers aren't going to re-release the games themselves, the least they could do is properly save them. So I beg you, go online and check out the links on this article over on kwtx.com forward slash entertainment slash hardwired to see what you can do to help preserve this important body of art. Developers have poured hundreds of thousands of hours into these titles, and their work should not just be forgotten. And while we're not forgetting things, don't forget to subscribe to Hardwired over on YouTube. Until next time, I'm Andrew Hamilton. And you still play some video games from now, I have right? A, I have yeah. a Switch. Oh, yeah. yeah. Only for Donkey Kong and Mario. Our producer was talking about the Yoshi cookies. Uh -huh. It's kind of like Tetris. Yes. Yeah. Yes, uh, the nostalgia, those old school games in the morning if you're trying to do like... Mm -hmm 
nerds like me a crossword <laughs> or like a puzzle or a little game. I'll, I'll definitely. Like you. It no, going, right? it keeps your mind going. Yeah. yeah, I will say that. If you remember this game, I email me because we'll talk about it. But there was a game for Atari in the 80s, like early 80s, called BC's Quest for Tires. Okay. Strange concept. And then also one called, it was like a Smurf game. And so these games were the ones I first played on an Atari before the Nintendo. You need to find it. it would I want to see your great. face if you played it, it again. If I do, it would really <laughs> be it would really take me back to on Saturday mornings in front of the TV, a little bit of cereal, playing those video games. It's it's a good experience. Thanks, Andrew, for yeah. that trip down memory lane and for the possibility of bringing some of those back. We love it. Back after this. This has been a Rogue Media Network. Oh, shit.